Today, Brad will continue our Series 7. Well, this morning I want to start by asking a question. And that question is this, what do you believe? What do you believe? And that can be kind of daunting, can't it? It can be kind of heavy. And maybe you don't know exactly how to answer that. And maybe you just say, you know what, I need a little more context. I need a little more um, background on, on, you know, what it is you're even talking about. Because that statement can be tough. What do you believe? And so let's make it a little bit lighter. What if I ask you a question of this? What do you believe is the best Mexican restaurant around? <laughs> you know? And there's lots to choose from around here. You'll notice we talk a lot about food from up here for some reason. I don't know what it is, but we go to lunch a lot. And, and so, you know, what do you believe the best Mexican restaurant is? You know, there's Saboya's, there's Casa Grande, there is um, Arcos, there's Agave's. I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of that right, but anyway, um, you know, so there's lots of choices here, and, you know, if you ask different people, if you ask Bruce or Jordan what their favorite Mexican restaurant is, they'll tell you they want to go to Casa Grande because for some reason they like that little nasty white sauce they give you. Anybody else? You know, yeah, that's right. Oh, no, come on. No, don't give them any encouragement there, you know? You know, but it's okay. I like the rest of the food there, so it's okay, but then, you know, maybe it's fast Mexican food, you know, that you have to make a decision of, you know, and then you got salsa grill, you got uh, chipotle, you got Moe's, you got, um, 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 no, not Taco Bell, we're not talking about Taco Bell here, <laughs> that's not, you can't, you can't even consume that stuff, and, and, and so there's, you know, but how many of you have had somebody say, oh, you need to go try this restaurant, okay, and we rush out and we try the restaurant, don't we, because we trust Certain peoples, we have confidence in what some people say, hey, this is what you, you ought to go try this. You know, we maybe go to a movie because someone says you need to go see this movie, and every once in a while we get it wrong. But for the most part, we have confidence in the people around us, and we trust them, and so we will try, and we will believe that, yeah, okay, let's go, go do that. And just full disclosure here, Jordan, before I came up here, said you, you got to tell a story, and so this is just free and extra, okay? Um, so... so uh, <laughs> Trevor and Jordan and Bruce and I are going down to a state meeting down in Indianapolis, and, and um, I, said, I said, well, I'm driving. I said, well, where are we going to go to eat? No one, you know, it's one of those typical things. I don't care. So I said, okay, that's it. I settle it. I'm, we're going to Noble Romans. One of my favorite pizza places. Anybody else? Do you remember? Anybody remember? Yeah, thank you. That's my wife. <laughs> Does anybody remember Noble Romans when they were here in town? No, I'm that old. Okay. <laughs> thank you for that. And so... There's a new Noble Romans at 116th in Allisonville, just in case you're wondering. And so Barb and I go there all the time. I love the Sicilian deep dish pizza there. We go there. I'm so excited. They hated it. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. They likened it to expensive little Caesars is what they said. And so anyway, that was just, that had nothing to do with it. But so every once in a while we do get it wrong. But don't we make decisions sometimes based on the confidence of who we trust and who we have in influence? And they, and they, they tell us things, and we say, okay, yeah, I can believe that. And then every once in a while, you get you know, kind of two different kind of opinions. You, you have somebody saying one thing over here and another person over here, and we don't know exactly what to believe, and, and we all deal with confirmation bias. So we tend to listen to things that support our, our views or support the things that we actually believe. You know, A few years ago, uh, if you were here, Bruce actually talked about uh, this thing called a Twinkie diet, that you could actually lose weight eating Twinkies. 
And so I said, oh, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I'm all about that. And so, yeah, it doesn't really work that well. But anyway, we do. We, we, we trust other people's opinions, and, and, and we base decisions, and we base what we believe on on some of the opinions of other people, and that's okay. You know, we, we have to do that at, at certain points. And, and here's the thing about, about belief is believing, we know what believe means in the real world, in the common world. We believe, you know, that two plus two equals four. We understand that. We believe that. We trust that. We understand that, it, that that is correct. You know, and, and, and so we put our trust in certain things. But somehow, when belief comes into the spiritual world, when we talk about God and things, all of a sudden it starts getting wishy-washy. We don't know exactly what to believe. And so when we ask the question, what do you believe, especially when it comes about God, it starts getting a little bit weird on us at times. So what is it? What do you believe about God? You know, when everything is going great, when everything is up and to the right, man, when things, life is looking good, it is very easy to believe in God. But it's during those hard times, those times when things are getting tough, when, when there's some stress involved, when there's some pain involved, when there's some suffering involved, when there's things like that, then we start questioning, well, I don't know what I really believe about God. Can I really trust him? Can I really depend on him? Is he, is he really there? And if you talk to people who have actually walked away from the faith and, and, and who at one point trusted Jesus and, and, and walked with him and then all of a sudden they walk away, many times they'll tell you, well, I just don't know if I can believe in a God that with all the suffering and all the pain in the world and things that's going wrong, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about God when he's answering all your prayers? Fairly simple, isn't it? What do you believe about God when you're praying and it's just like he's not even listening and he's not even there. It begins to wrestle with that, don't we? And that's kind of where our story today is actually leading us. So we're gonna be talking about people wrestling with their, their belief in this God, in this Jesus person. And, and we're in this series um, talking about John. We're actually journeying with John as he has journeyed with Jesus we're looking at the seven signs, as John calls them, pointing to who Jesus actually is. Was he a man? Was he a myth? Or was he exactly who he said he was? Was he the Messiah? And John has a unique way of writing this and, and pointing us. And, and, and John is the last apostle alive. That all the people that he did ministry with with Jesus has, has already been martyred by their, for their faith. Peter's been crucified. James is dead. Matthew is dead. Paul has been beheaded. And here is John. And and my guess is somebody came and said, you've got to give an account to the life of Jesus. You've got to tell your side of the story because you were an eyewitness. And so John relates the story to somebody as, as they're writing it down. And, and he, he used these things that we would call miracles, but he actually calls signs. He said, I'm going to pick out seven specific signs that point to who Jesus was, the Messiah. And John actually tells us his end game. In John chapter 20, he says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And he's not talking about the book, the Bible. He's talking about this document that he is writing, this ancient text that we have that's been preserved for all these years that he's writing about. He said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may now have life in his name that you may have life in his name. By believing, you'll understand that who Jesus actually is and that you can have life. 
And and when we think about eternal life, sometimes we think about the life after we pass away. And that is so true, but, but the life that John is talking about actually starts now. The life that John is saying that we can live, this abundant life, this, this life filled with peace and joy, no matter what the circumstances are around us, can start right now by trusting in who Jesus is. And he says, I have seen it. I'm writing these seven signs. I'm telling you these signs so that you can have the evidence, the proof, that you can come back and you can trust me because I saw it and I heard it. As a matter of fact, he starts out another letter he wrote in 1 John chapter 1 like this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us over and over again. We have seen. We have heard. We have touched. We have seen. We have heard. We have touched. He's appeared. He's saying, trust me, I was an eyewitness. I was there. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And John, over and over and over again, says, come back and listen to me because I was there. I was an eyewitness. We heard him. We, we touched him. We saw him. We tu- he appeared to us. We lived with him. I'm giving you an account so that you can look back and say, I trust in what John is saying so that you may believe who Jesus was. And so we're going to be in John chapter 4. If you want to get your Bibles, your U-versions, it'll also be up on the screen here. We're just going to walk through some of the story here that John is giving us. And, and your heading on your Bible may actually say this. It may say that Jesus heals an official son or maybe a nobleman's son. And that's the story we are looking at today. And we talked last week about how Jesus goes to a wedding and he actually saves the wedding. And the symbolism absolutely amazing. How Jesus takes something old, something out of the old covenant that re- related to Judaism, and he, and he made something brand new out of it, basically saying, this is how, what I've come to do. I've come to replace the old covenant with something brand new. There's something, God is doing something amazing and new here. The symbolism was, was awesome. And then he heads down to Jerusalem. And his disciples never liked to travel to Jerusalem with Jesus because there always seemed to be trouble waiting there for, in Jerusalem for Jesus and it's Passover and, he, and he's going there and, and so here he gets down there and sure enough the disciples are correct and Jesus gets really frustrated with everything that's going on around the temple that there are people selling defective animals to be sacrificed and, and they, they're making a profit and making money off of the market there of the temple and he overturns tables and the Pharisees are, are now against him again and, and, and there's just all kinds of, of debacle that he created down there and then he has this conversation with Nicodemus, a Pharisee at the time. And he says this famous statement of, to, to Nicodemus of that you must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't understand at all what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus t- tells him the, the, famous, the, the famous verse that we all know so well, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And after that, that, that conversation, he goes and says he has to go through Samaria. He doesn't have to go through Samaria because a good Jew would actually go around Samaria to, because Samaritan, Samarit, Samaritans and Jews just did not get along at all. And Jesus has this famous conversation with this woman at the well. 
And they're sitting there talking, and, and he, he tells her about her life, and they start talking about spiritual things, and, and the woman is absolutely amazed. And Jesus actually tells her that he is the Messiah. And that's where we actually pick up the story, because we've got to go back a little bit before the nobleman just to make sure we have the underlying basis here. Some fascinating stuff in John chapter 4, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is a really important piece of scripture here because Jesus spends two days with, his, with these people and he just talks to them and, and he, he unpacks some things with them and they believe in what he has to say. He does absolutely no miracles. There's no convincing here. All he is is his word. And it says here in the scripture that, that they believed in Jesus' word. They believed on the testimony of Jesus himself. Then we go on, verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Canaan in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And last week, we looked at that very first sign and, and where he turned water to wine, and it was a joyful occasion. And this week, in the second sign, it's actually, it's actually a, a kind of a depressing, it's kind of a heartbreaking occasion because we've got this nobleman's son who is at the brink of death. And this, this nobleman had to travel... Um, several hours, actually an eight-hour walk from where he was to where Jesus was. Now, he was very wealthy, so it probably, he probably took a horse or, or a carriage and, and had an entourage go with him, and it probably only took him two or three hours to get to Jesus. But it says that he was a nobleman, so he was very wealthy. He was esteemed in the village. He was, he was a high official, if you will. Some people even think that, that maybe he was a Sadducee. But he was very well off, very well thought of, and here he is going to Jesus Verse 47 says, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Here is this wealthy man who had all kinds of means, who had access to the best doctors at the time, any kind of medicine. He could afford it, anything he wanted, but his son was yet at the brink of death. And he had heard stories. That's all he had. He didn't know Jesus. He had just heard stories of, of the healings, of the things that Jesus was doing. He actually had heard the testimony of others, and he realized this is my last chance. This is my last hope to have my son live. And so he gets, gets in his carriage, and he, he travels to go see Jesus, and he, he lowers himself. He submits himself to Jesus and says, says, I am begging you to come home with me so that you can heal my son. He is desperate. It is his absolute last hope hope. And there may be some of you today that are sitting here and with the circumstances you're in, your last hope is Jesus. And you're just trying it out because you know what? This is just, 
it's all I've got left. I've done everything on my own. Nothing seems to be helping. My prayers are not being answered. I don't know what to do. What do I go? I have nothing but Jesus. Maybe that's your story of how you came to Jesus. Maybe, maybe that is just it. But this, this guy, he doesn't want his son to die, and he's just desperate. And then Jesus answers him and the crowd that is around listening to this whole thing and, and, and witnessing everything that's going on. And here's what Jesus says. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And it's interesting, this is the only place in, in John's gospel that he uses this word for wonders. And it basically likens itself to a circus, a pony show, if you will, something that, that you, know, you want to see something miraculous happen because you're not going to believe in any, any other way, that you are only here for what you can get out of it. You're only here because you are in need and you just want me to continue to entertain you and to continue to do these miracles. That's what you're here for. I'm wondering if Jesus isn't wishing they were like the Samaritans where they, they just believed Jesus on his word. He didn't pr- do one miracle, one sign back there. And they believed anyway. But they are asking for signs. They are asking for miracles. They are asking for wonders. And I wonder how many times that's us. That we use Jesus, we use God as this little genie in the bottle. And when we run into troubles, when we run into tough times, when we run into situations or circumstances that we don't like, that we don't like what life is throwing at us, when there's hardships, when there's suffering, when there's pain, that we can just rub the little lamp and God comes out and can you just rescue me from this, God? I just want as easy as life as I possibly can. I want to live as comfortably as I possibly can, God. And we just continue to use God as that kind of person. It's what was happening here. I think that's us sometimes. And so here's this, this officer just begging for his son's life, and Jesus is going to step up his game here. He's going to do something absolutely amazing because we know that Jesus sometimes heals by touching people, and, and sometimes he makes mud on the ground and, and puts it on somebody's eyes, and, and he sees. But Jesus, Jesus goes to a whole other level here. Here's the royal official. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. And again, he, he surrenders himself under the authority of Jesus. He's, in society, he's much higher than him, but he submits himself to him. And he believes that there's two options here, that Jesus comes home with him and heals his son, or Jesus doesn't come home and his son dies. But as Jesus always does, there's a third option, and that's the one that Jesus actually chooses. And Jesus asks him to do something that he's been asking everyone to do every since then. It's actually what he asks us, you and me, to do on a daily basis. And that is to trust him on the word of someone else. It's to trust him on the testimony of other people because that's all he had. He didn't know who Jesus was. All he had heard was the stories of what Jesus did and the things that he accomplished And he was to entrust his ailing son, his son that was on the brink of death, to this Jesus. And Jesus says this, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. And this is, this translation does not do it as justice. What Jesus is actually saying here is, you don't have to worry. That there is no need to worry and there is no need to hurry. It's done. It's over with. I'm not coming home with you, but your son is going to live. 
And I think so often this is the tension that we live in. The tension that, 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 that we have to live in on a daily basis is are we going to believe the testimony of Jesus? Are we going to believe the testimony of the others who were firsthand eyewitnesses to what Jesus actually accomplished? See, we are asked, don't miss this, we are asked to take Jesus at the word, his word, based on the word of other people. We are asked to take Jesus at his word, what he can do in our lives, on the word of other people, people like John who we're looking at, who were eyewitnesses, who saw and heard and touched him, like Matthew, like Luke and Peter and James, who actually lived and, and documented these, these stories, and they were so important that people preserved them over all these years. These eyewitnesses, these, these, these accounts of who Jesus was and what he did, so that, he, that they can prove to us that he is worth following, that he was who he said he was, the Messiah of the world. And then we can have confidence. We are asked to trust our lives with him. We are asked to trust our health to him. We are asked to trust our finances, our relationships, everything, our children. We are asked to trust him with all of that on the testimony of others. It's hard to do sometimes, especially when we are in these funks and we are in this, this time of troubles and, and pain and suffering and the things that you're just wondering, why in the world am I going through this? And then every once in a while you run into people who just navigate those kind of issues and you look at them and you stand in awe of how can they have all this stuff thrown at them, but yet they are so positive and they're so, they have this peace and they have this, this, this life in them that, that even in the circumstances that they would... They don't want to be in those circumstances. They trade them for anything in the world. They don't want to be there, but yet, for some reason, they can handle it, that they have this underlying faith and this underlying trust, and it's amazing to watch. We actually have one of those stories I want to share with you today. When I think of people like this who can handle <laughs> tough situations, my, one of the first things I come to think of is, is, is a lady that used to be here by the name of Pam Saylor. It's Kevin Saylor's mother, and she was battling cancer, and, and um, we actually brought her on stage many, many years ago. This video I'm going to show you is not even in HD. That's how long ago it was, and, and Pastor Dan, many of you love hearing Pastor Dan again, and he interviews Pam, and I just want you to watch her countenance, watch her, watch her, her facial expressions, her smile as she talks about what she is dealing with in this video. For the past 13 years, because I asked you, what's your come and see story? What is it you want others to find through Jesus? And you said, God's got broad shoulders. And so then talk about that and talk about the 13 years of cancer and even how you're walking your family through it. Because it sounds like, Kevin, that mom is still the matriarch. She is still leading this family towards Jesus. And Absolutely. even in this, so, so talk about, about God's got big, big shoulders, broad shoulders. He really does. He wants us to come to him. If we need to, to cry, he'll carry our burdens. And he's, he's not afraid for us to say, God, I don't understand. God, help me through. God, I can't do this all by myself. And he'll be right there. My battle with cancer began 13 years ago. And this time when the doctors told us that it was going to be terminal, that it's inoperable, and it's incurable, I just wanted to make sure that everyone, particularly my family, knows God hasn't let me down. 
He gave me 13 years that my body didn't really give me. And in those 13 years, I've been so blessed. In fact, I was talking to my grandsons from Colorado this week, and my 11-year-old grandson looked up at me, and he had tears in his eyes, and he said, Grandma, you are so blessed. I have five grandchildren 13 years ago who would have never known me. I uh, don't think 13 years ago my children were at the point that they are today. Today, I truly believe God has brought them to a place that they can stand and stand alone when it's time for me to go on. And I never, ever want anyone to blame God because he has been faithful. And, excuse me. And he gave me these 13 years to really get to know people. I wouldn't know you. And you're part of my well, family. Well, some would say that wouldn't be that much of a loss, but. <laughs> but everyone out here is part of my family now. I would have never went back to college. Yeah. I went back to school. Um, so God has really blessed me these last 13 years and prepared us, prepared us all. Yeah. So I will say that until the day I step into heaven, we'll pray for healing, we'll pray for remission. But the day that I step into heaven, I want it to be a rejoicing. I want to celebrate because this is what I've lived for. <laughs> and that's her story, and she's sticking to it. Um, isn't that neat? Um, God hasn't let me down. That's the kind of faith that we all should aspire to have. She was an incredible woman. And it wasn't very long after that. I think it was just a matter of days that she went to the hospital and Pam walked into heaven about two weeks, right around two weeks after that interview. What a testimony. That's what it looks like to believe. It's what it looks like to have the kind of faith that God asks us to have. Believing on the testimony of others, the testimony of Pam. Of saying, God has not let me down. And she celebrates, and we did celebrate. It was an amazing memorial service. Back to the story, the man took Jesus at his word. The man took Jesus at his word. He believed, and he departed. He walked away from the last chance, how he thought it was going to go, of Jesus having to come home, but he trusted, and he walked by faith, not by sight. How many times we talk about we have to walk by faith and not by sight? Verse 51, while he was still on the way, his servants met him with news that his boy was living. When he inquired as the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at what Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. They believed on the testimony of this man, this noble man, of what he saw and what he experienced. This was the second sign 
Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. And we are asked to walk by faith, not by just some hope, not by just say, hey, you just have to believe, you just have to believe. No, we believe on the testimony of others. We believe on the testimony of John. We believe on the testimony of Matthew, of Peter, of James, all who went to their grave because they would not deny who Jesus was because they saw and they heard something. They believed because what they experienced. And now we have the testimony and we have a choice to believe them. Even through the hardships, even through the tough stuff. What do you believe in God? Can he be trusted even with what you're going through? Is he a good God even though he won't answer the prayer that you're asking him for? Is he still a good God and can you trust him even though you are still going through all those trials and you wish they would all end? Pam Saylor would tell you, yes, you can. He hasn't let me down. See, it is so easy to follow God. It is so easy to trust Jesus when everything is going right, when everything is going good, but it's during the tough times when we don't see the answers, when we are wondering where God is in all of this, that when we hold on to that belief that our faith continues to grow and grow and grow, and we may never ever see an answer on this side. It may not be until we walk into heaven that we understand and we see it. This nobleman's son happened to be healed, but yet there are so many cases, and we know there are so many cases, even in Jesus' time, that not everybody was healed. Not everybody's prayer was answered. The question is, what are we going to do with that, and how are we going to believe through that? That is our challenge today. We're all going to face hardships and tough times. And I love how John tells another story in this, this document, this book that he has. And he talks about Thomas, who was doubting. He said, and Thomas says, you know, I don't believe that you guys are telling me that, that you saw Jesus. I don't even believe that. Until I see him myself, until I touch his hands where the nails were, until I touch his side where, where he was speared, I am not going to believe it. And Jesus shows up. And Thomas is amazed. And he says, my Lord and my God. And he leaves us with this, which I think Jesus actually left us with this for today, for us. In John chapter 20, verse 29, he says, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us. Because we haven't seen all we have is a testimony of this John who said, trust me, this is it. I heard, I saw, he appeared, he was there. This is it. And you can believe on the eyewitness testimony of myself and all of my friends. So the question again today, what do you believe? What do you believe? Father, we are so grateful and so thankful that you preserved these amazing documents of these people who at one time doubted you and left you and thought it was all over, but yet they were willing to die for the cause because they saw a resurrected Jesus. It's incredible. Father, help us to believe, and as you said in Scripture, help us to believe in our unbelief 
Father, there are many out here who are going through struggles, who are going through pain, who are going through suffering, and we don't want to minimize that. We understand it. But I pray that you would give them a deep sense, an amazing faith through it all, that they can trust and believe in you even when they don't understand. Father, once again, just thank you for who you are. Thank you for John who wrote this so that we may trust and believe. It's in the amazing, precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.